stereotypical hipster. That would be a terrible name for a Western. Boy, politics is hard. I agree because it is ridiculous. Welcome to the Palm Court. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Let's go shopping! <laughs> yes, let's. All right, yeah. So yes, this is a this is a, a catch up episode in in a sense. We're uh, we're putting out two episodes this week. Everybody, look out! Yeah, be surprised. <laughs> it never expected to happen again. Right. Uh, yeah, we had no idea that PBS decided to make Mr. Selfridge's premiere a two hour event. Right. So uh, yeah, if this kind of thing ever happens in the future, please don't hesitate to let us know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we were in a tight spot anyway with our traveling and everything. Like, I don't even know that we could have caught up much sooner. I mean, I think if we knew. Yeah, we could have planned ahead. But anyway. Uh, Anyway, look, we blame PBS. Yes. Fix your internet video player. Yes. We blame PBS and, of course, Viking River Cruises. Yes. Oh, God. Mainly them. (laughs) Uh, so given that we are uh, kind of catching up in a weird way, we are dispensing with Ellen Love letters this week. That's right. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> We're going straight into the recap. Yes. So let's do that. Okay. Uh, so we start at some hospital. Harry gets out of a car and calls for a doctor as the homely architect brings in Kitty, uh, who's asking where Mustache is. So we cut to Mustache running upstairs and through hallways to the emergency department. He makes Jeremy Piven. Look like an Olivier Award-winning actor. Yeah. In not just this scene, but in any scene wherein he is required to show any emotion. Yeah, this is not his best look this Our episode. Our apologies, Samuel West. You mm-hmm. seem like a perfectly nice bloke. Yeah, and it's not like I've ever had a problem with him before. Oh, no. Because as long as, you know, him and his character are used properly, he's fine. But, yeah, but this when episode, he's required to yeah. do any kind of heavy lifting, he looks like, you know... Uh, an ill-cast college junior in the production of a Tennessee Williams play. <laughs> he thought he could play a brick. He just hasn't been the same <laughs> since Skip-A-Dad. <laughs> anyway, Harry and the homely architect are standing outside Kitty's room, and Harry says that Kitty was uh, cut on her face, but it could have been a lot worse. Mustache says that she's so strong, and he was sure she could look after herself. And then a nurse comes out to say the doctor's done and he can come in. So he runs in there and he holds a weeping kitty. Jazz! <laughs> Fat Thomas and Violette are dancing together, blissfully unaware of the horrible scene happening <laughs> at the hospital nearby. That's right. Dancing quite well, too. Oh, yeah. Haircut looks on and kind of with a chip on her shoulder tells George that Fat Thomas always claimed to have two left feet to her. Yeah. And she wants to know who Violette is. George explains, uh, that's Violette Selfridge. And Haircut <laughs> literally says, whoa, can't compete with that. <laughs> yeah. Which is a really mature attitude and one that I admire. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a big fan of Haircut. I hope we get more of her as... Ugh, I hope she has a hook of George Towler. Oh, God. Well, since he's apparently a super genius now. <laughs> uh, we get some reasonably graphic for pbs close-ups of kitty's face getting stitched up it actually is pretty graphic yeah she asked mustache how bad it is and he says that the doctor said there'll be a scar but it will fade uh and again props to the actress playing kitty whose name is something we should we should really look it up because we we're always that. praising her <laughs> yeah All i can think of was amanda abington but that's uh martel now yeah. anyway uh this is a terrible place for her to be injured because she works in beauty that's right and cosmetics yeah and so you know to a certain extent if she can't cover up her own scar how can she look to the scars on other spaces <laughs> that's right yeah Kitty says that she wants those men found and gets up to go to the police station then and there. Uh, Mustache, first of all, it was just amusing. He says, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, And he says she can't go. She needs to rest. And uh, then sees that when he grabbed her coat to restrain her that he got blood on his hand. And Kitty had not yet realized that there was blood all over her coat. Yes. And she is also very put out that the coat is ruined. Yeah. Out front of the hospital, the homely architect expresses her sympathy for Kitty, specifically saying it's the most terrible thing to happen, uh, which 
It's not. Well, it's almost the most terrible thing to happen. Right. But it didn't homely architect. It didn't get there. Well, but there's a very gendered thing going on here, too, because Harry's just like, oh, well, fortunately, she's got Frank or whatever. But like for the homely architect and for Kitty, too, this is a very like now the homely architect doesn't feel safe on the street by herself in the same way Mm -hmm. and she's you know an independent woman and this kind of just shows that that's not as secure as she thought it was i don't know oh that was my interpretation i don't think so because later on she expresses no uh issue with walking home alone yeah that's true well i mean look the thing is you know uh both of them are wrong well okay that's what I've decided. Yeah. Well, because Harry's awfully cheerful. Oh, yeah. He's very like, no one got raped on my watch today. They almost did, but not quite. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the homely architect says he can still make the second half of his play, which, why would you want to do that? Isn't right. that teddy bear dance number that you've already seen? That's fair. If you're going back for an encore. No, nah, the teddy bear dance really peaks in the first act, so... <laughs> God. <laughs> Harry says that he doesn't feel like it and asks if she's hungry. The homely architect knows a place around the corner. Typical hipster. <laughs> yeah, I won't eat anywhere if it's not around the corner. <laughs> right. If it's a straight shot, pff, we're not going there. <laughs> Fat Thomas and Violette take a break from dancing, and Violette rather imperiously asks Haircut for another glass of champagne. You'd think she'd have learned her lesson from the last time. But she hasn't. But, I mean, Fat Thomas sees her do this and is just like, yep, great. Mm-hmm. Boss that woman around. Although he does ask if it would be wise for her to not have another glass of champagne, but Violette tells him not to be a bore. Fat Thomas says that she's pretty and she really theatrically thanks him for the compliment. Uh, there's no point in saying that Violette theatrically did anything. Well. Because this chick has two speeds, theatrical and theatricaler. <laughs> Theatrical. <laughs> he says he'd like to kiss her and she says, well, why don't you? And puckers up. And Fat Thomas leans in and then says, thanks for the dance and heads off. Oh! That's some first-rate negging. That really is. He picked that up in France. Yeah. No, that's actually well executed. Yeah. Harry and the homely architect take their seats in a fairly homely restaurant. She recommends the mutton stew, which doesn't fill Harry with delight, because (laughs) why would it? It's smelly old sheep meat. Right. Even the trolls in The Hobbit didn't like mutton stew. (laughs) Uh Two dudes in the corner are making fun of Harry for being la-dee-da. And it's like, that's fine, but like, what do you care, Harry? (laughs) Like, you're la-dee-da. That's the whole point of you. Right. You've worked hard to become so. Harry says that the one fortunate thing about the night is that the homely architect was there and helped with Kitty. And she says she nursed during the war so she can cope with blood. Harry says that she can cope with pretty much anything, but she says that she can't bear spiders. Harry says, so you're mortal. How dare you? And we say, stop. Yeah. Basically. The way that we were concerned this was going to go, it is clearly going. Yeah. And like. The reason I have always found it difficult to be flirty is that I always feel like I sound like Harry in this scene. But like... I'm not... Uh, I don't... Yeah. I understand what you're saying. It's a very fine line. Yeah. I mean, and you know, and my benefit is if I'm feeling flirty, I can say exactly what Harry says in this scene and generally get away with it. Right. Like, it may not work. But it won't be so... Yeah. Yeah. The homely architect orders the special for both of them. Not clear if that's the mutton stew or some other culinary <laughs> abortion. Right. Uh, Harry wonders how she got to be so competent, which is a weird compliment to pay someone yes. who's just ordered you the special. <laughs> the mysterious special. She says that her parents died when she was young and she moved from the north to London and has had to fend for herself her whole life. He says it must have been difficult, and he asks about marriage, and she says that she'd rather be alone than compromise. Harry says he's not much good on his own. Run, homely architect. Abandon the mutton. They haven't even brought it yet, Tom. I know. Look, she's uh, she's thrifty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why she's so homely. <laughs> the homely architect th- toasts to the Selfridge estate, attempting to appropriately mm-hmm. bring the conversation back to uh, business. Their professional relationship. But Harry responds with, to friendship. Nailing it. <laughs> he's not. 
Uh, at the Lizard Club, rich people murmur quietly about their polo ponies, or whatever it is they talk about there. And Loxley tells Sergey that they're going to have difficulties now that they've lost the land for the aerodrome. Sergey says that they can look for other land, possibly in South London, but Loxley says that he never goes south of the river. He's a real Jack Donaghy. <laughs> he is. Sergey asks what his intentions are then, and Loxley stands up and says that he's out. He does this pretty artlessly, in my opinion. Well, he, he could have just stopped returning Sergey's calls. True enough, but he likes hanging out at his club mm. and annoying people there. I don't know. Well, yeah, but couldn't Sergey only get in because of him? Possibly. I would think. I don't see how he could be a member given what we learn about his sordid dealings. Indeed. Anyway, he says that Sergey is just a playboy living off of Harry Selfridge's expense account, if there's any of that left. And, waka waka. Yeah. And then Sergey, rather belatedly... He's been told by like three people at this point. <laughs> right. And they were all correct. Loxley was just using him. Loxley then complains about Harry naming this estate after himself. He's like, he's naming all of London after himself. Like, Mostly just that store and this thing that he's building. Yeah, the land that he buys. Yes, that's pretty standard. Anyway, Sergei says that aviation is the future and his airplane will get built. And Loxley says, not by me, and leaves. And then Sergei sits in the chair for a few minutes. And I liked the facial expressions here because you can see him trying to come up with a story where he wasn't just played for a fool. Yeah. And how this isn't his fault. Doesn't take a drink. This would be another great gif here. <laughs> yeah. Fat Thomas enters his office to find Violette waiting in her god-awful outfit and all. Uh, let's just look at the parallels between Violette's seduction tactics and Harry's here. Oh, yeah. I think she's the most like him of all of his children, mm -hmm. but he refuses to see that because he is blinded by gender. Yeah. And somehow... Nunu Gordon is like the person that he trusts to do stuff. Right. Fat Thomas wants to know how she got in. Violet says that her that her father has a similar desk. Uh, just in case Fat Thomas didn't realize this was all about her daddy issues. <laughs> right. She's drawn him a, a very nice diagram. <laughs> and she says that Fat Thomas's desk has much more amusing things on it. Like, does it? It just looks like paperwork to I me. think she's just being an idiot. Like, is there porn on there or something? That would be cool. It would be. We didn't see it. It's PBS. Yeah, that's true. Fat Thomas says she should go. She asks if he wants her to go. He says yes. She says she doesn't believe him. And uh, he takes his jacket off and says if she's looking for a boyfriend, he's a bad bet. Uh, listen. She's like, I'm looking for a bad bet, actually. Yeah. So She asks if somebody broke his heart. Ding, 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 ding. Violette says that love is more trouble than it's worth and asks if he'd deny her a little excitement while putting her feet up on his desk. Fat Thomas walks up and touches her feet very sexily for a moment before shoving them off the desk, pulling her up and kissing her. And all I have to say is, Fat Thomas, where have you been all my life? <laughs> yeah. Also, he seems less fat. He does. Yeah. I, I guess mean... he's been listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly so. He was like, well, these weirdos keep saying I'm fat, <laughs> even though I'm not fat. Right. They right. know I'm not fat. <laughs> I'd like to say uh, we're not changing your name, but we do recognize the effort. Yeah, we recognize that you are now slightly thinner, but we're not. We've we're, come to look. Yeah. We've already got new, new Gordon. <laughs> yeah, we've already reconnoitered all of the names that we're going to on this podcast. Yeah. At Selfridge House, Sergey walks in, takes off his shoes, and sits down in the loser chair, I guess. There's sort of this random chair in the middle of the front hall. Rosalie asks where he's been, and Sergey asks if he can't have a bit of privacy. Nope. Right. Uh, from your wife, whose father's house you live in? Perhaps not. Rosalie notes that he's been drinking and asks if this is all about Pa buying the land. Sergey asks why everything has to be about Harry. He didn't expect that when he married her, he'd be living under his roof and dancing to his tune. He's really not dancing to his tune. Yeah, like maybe you should have danced to his tune. He's really like doing the foxtrot and they're playing a waltz. <laughs> yeah, you would be better off. Uh, and he says that he's good for more than that. Rosalie says that she never said that he wasn't, and she goes to kiss him, but he pulls away and says he's going to bed. Rosalie, by the way, is apparently wearing an afghan in this scene. Uh, she was cold while she was waiting up yeah. on the stairs for no good reason. Like, there's plenty of other comfortable places to wait in that house. Yeah. She's really taken her mother's martyr complex and magnified it by many, many, many degrees. Right. Well, just as Violette takes after Harry. Uh-huh. So who does new New Gordon take after, Ma? Mustache. <laughs> 
I just want to be more like him. <laughs> I've got this crappy mustache. Anyway, Rosalie asks if Sergei is reg- regretting their marriage, and Sergei says that he doesn't know. Um, married people. If someone <laughs> asks you if you're regretting your marriage, there's a very clear answer, and it's no. Right. If you say, I don't know, that's a yes. Yeah. So... And you're not fooling anybody. Yeah, and also, if you're listening to this and taking our advice, you're married now when divorces are plentiful. (laughs) So maybe do that. (laughs) Fat Thomas and Violette are getting on with the excitement in his office when George Taylor walks in, because that is his entire purpose for this season, apparently. Right. Fat Thomas says, Miss Selfridge was just leaving. Violette says, Miss Selfridge will be coming back. And I'm like, what are you, fucking Mama Rose and Gypsy? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she leaves, and George says that if Fat Thomas plays with Violette, there will be consequences. And it's like, I think she can afford an abortion. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't think it's a problem. One would think. Like, oh, you know, you'll have some trouble and then, like, you know, she'll never come back and bother you anymore. (laughs) Right. She could have afforded an abortion before the disastrous auction. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Harry and the homely architect leave the mutton restaurant. Harry admits that it was, in fact, good. The homely architect says she usually comes there in the morning because they have very delicious Chelsea buns. What's a Chelsea bun? It is very similar to a cinnamon roll, but it has currants involved. Mm, I'm not a fan of things that have currants or raisins in them. Well, sometimes I like a cinnamon raisin bagel, but not usually. Okay. So like back off. So everyone, all the people who are thinking about sending us some Chelsea buns, stop. Yeah. Send us a cinnamon roll instead. (laughs) Harry offers to call her a cab, but she says that she'll walk. uh, And she says that the people who attacked Kitty were just a couple of rotten apples. Although to be fair, there are a lot of rotten apples, uh, you know, rolling around the city right now. Yeah. She says she had a lovely time with Harry. He takes her hand, and she pulls her hand away and says, Good night! Yeah, good job, homely architect. Keep up the good work. Yes. At Martle House, Martle comes down to tell Agnes that she can't wait for Henri all night. She needs to get some sleep. Agnes asks why he isn't coming home, and there's no answer. Uh, Then we cut to Henri standing by a river looking at it. Right. We're like, is he going to kill himself? Right, which is what we were supposed to think. But it also didn't even really look like he was that high or that the river was that deep. I know. <laughs> it was definitely dirty. So if he just wanted to get, you know, sick. <laughs> right. That would be a great place to do it in. No. Kitty looks at her face in the mirror. Uh, and again, I mean, she just looks like, I mean, she looks like a wreck. Yeah. Like beyond the, you know, the actual wounds. She just looks like hollowed mm-hmm. out. Uh, and mustache comes up and we cut to them sitting in their parlor or whatever with some policemen as Kitty describes the attack. The cop asks if she can describe the ringleader and she says he was tall and young and that he had, she had seen him before outside the stores selling cigarettes and mustache is like, oh shit. And he pulls his hand away as Kitty says that the man had been drinking. Yeah, good job. Way to not hold your wife's hand as soon as suspicion comes upon you. You've got a great poker face mustache. Right. Oh, and, and, and wait for this because the cop says, drink. If I had my way, I'd ban the stuff altogether. And mustache says, that's a bit extreme, don't you think? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like, this may not be the right moment for that sentiment, dude. <laughs> right. Like, I'm very not favor- anti-temperance. <laughs> I'm not in favor of prohibition either. Look, but- you can do whatever you want to my wife, but you better not mess with my alcohol. <laughs> I had it long before her, and I'll have it long after. The cop says that they must have gotten their drink from somewhere local. Probably that one place that's the only bar in London. Oh, definitely. <laughs> that's the only place to get any alcohol whatsoever when it's not Sergei's fucking wedding. <laughs> Harry walks out his front door and sees Henri. Uh, this is the following more. Well, it's they cut from the evening to where Agnes was sad to the next day, I think. Right. So because it's, it was daylight. Yes. So yeah. anyway, uh, Henri says he came to apologize about the window incident and harry says it doesn't matter and then tells a chauffeur that they'll walk and then we cut to them sitting in a park as Henri describes verdun where only eight of them came out alive Henri says he can't be in the store anymore harry says that he needs him but Henri says if he can't trust himself how can harry which is a very good point Henri and harry like you're not a therapist you're a mess yeah he says anyway agnes won't want to work beside him he heard her say she's frightened of him 
Harry says that he must make her understand and he must tell her how he's feeling and what he's going through. But Henri says, tell her what? That she's married to a coward. He says that he watched his men die and he lived, which I can see how if you were that person, you would think that made you a coward. Mm -hmm. But it didn't. Right. So, like, deal with that. Well, nobody can yet because nobody had ever been through this shit. I know. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, for the record, survivor's guilt, you should work through it. A mustache guiltily stirs some tea. Yeah, speaking of survivor's guilt. <laughs> Kitty asks if he thinks that the police will find Sergeant Private Runty. And mu- <laughs> what comical names for attempted rapists. <laughs> yes. Musta- <laughs> Private Runty. <laughs> mustache says that the cop seems like an efficient fellow, and he sits down by Kitty, who says that she was glad he was there. She couldn't have gotten through that interview without him. Mustache asks if she's sure about the attackers being those people she'd seen, and she says she is. Mustache then says that she should be careful because the press has been getting worked up about ex-servicemen getting a rough deal. You mean you? Yeah. Personally only? Right. Kitty asks if he means that she should just let this whole thing drop, and Mustache says, well, it could become very unpleasant. But Kitty insists that they hurt her and will pay for it. Uh, pro-Kitty. Yeah. I would also like to point out what a completely different approach this takes to sexual assault than Mr. Selfridge. Right. And then Downton Abbey? Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's fine. It's late. I know. Uh... This takes a much more responsible view toward sexual assault in terms of being prescriptive. And I don't think that it's necessarily television's job to be prescriptive. Mm -hmm. But when so many sexual assaults do go unreported, I think it's really important to see a narrative where the victim refuses to let it drop. I mean, this entire episode, Mm -hmm. she could get out of it at any time. Right. But she is so firm in her conviction that these people pay for what they did Mm -hmm. that she can't let it go yeah and you know she's middle class isn't she yeah so she's got some self-respect that anna bates never got yeah that's true so uh i guess if we had anything to say uh there should be equitable distribution of wealth and uh report your rapes yeah early and often that's our political platform yes equal wealth reported rapes Mutton in every pot. Ew. <laughs> that is not part of our political platform. Cousins, you'll have to excuse us I meant, I while meant, we hammer out the kinks. I meant mutton in zero pots. No mutton. Well, now people are starving, Tom. <laughs> Look at what you've done. Boy, politics is hard. I know. <laughs> in front of Selfridges, right by the old Bovril cart, the police are rounding up all the loitering ex-servicemen. Marla ushers Agnes inside while Harry runs up and asks what's going on, and the cop, whose name we learn is Chief Inspector Johnson, introduces himself and says they're moving those people along, and he is the one that is running the investigation into Kitty's attack, and Harry thanks him. Inside, Connie's telling everybody how Kitty was attacked. I would have liked to have seen her actual interaction with Kitty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Post-attack. Yeah, well, is she... They're is, sisters. She, yeah, well, I was just going to say, did she move out? Uh, not that we've been told. Not that we've been told, although she does have a good job now, but... Yeah, so it's hard to say. Yeah, but we don't see her in their house at all this episode. Yeah. so mm. I would have liked for some of that to be uh, yes. explained. Agreed. Uh, Blankensop says that these men are unstable and you never know what they might do. Fake Dora says they're out of control. And Bobbin says it was bad enough when Mr. Leclerc smashed up the window... Which is super awkward and, because like, super Agnes not your place to there. say. Oh, my God. Was she? Yeah. Agnes was there. Uh, what a bitch. Yeah. Bobbin, you're on our shit list now. <laughs> Nobody but Monsieur Leclerc gets to criticize Monsieur Leclerc. Miss <laughs> Myrtle then interprets said awkwardness and dispatches everybody back to their posts. Yeah. At Selfridge House, Violette has just been informed that she is not allowed to go out alone anymore. Ma says that Harry she wants... She was told this off screen, by the way, which is awkward yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ma says that Harry wants to protect her. And Violette says he just wants to keep her locked up so she doesn't meet anyone. And she might as well live in a nunnery. Uh, but the princess then walks up behind her and says that she's not sure they'd have her. Which is a nice Merton princess. Yeah. 
Violette asks if the princess has anywhere else to go. The princess asks where Sergei is and says she'll go have a chat with him. Ma says that, boy, the repairs to the princess's flat sure seem to be taking a while. And the princess is all like, oh, builders, you know, they keep saying next week, blah, blah, blah. Ma points out that in the meantime, Harry is paying for her hotel, and the princess says, isn't he an absolute darling, and heads out. Uh, again, Ma, why are you and Fraser keeping this a secret from a person who just spent 30,000 pounds on a random field? Right. Like, <laughs> you might want to just check in and be like, hey, dude, you might be getting an overdraft fee soon. Right. Like, do you think your strategy is working thus far, Ma? Who knows? No. She's clearly not the best judge of anything. No. In Harry's office, Mr. Crabbe says, two bad pennies do not a fistful make, and Harry agrees uh, also that that would be a terrible name for a Western. <laughs> he says that the servicemen have had terrible experiences. Miss Martle says there is concern for security inside the store. Mr. Crabbe says that's ridiculous, and I'm inclined to be- like believe him here, or agree yeah, with him, yeah. rather. Uh, They've got those doorkeepers. Yeah. But then Miss Martle points out that there was a recent incident regarding the young man who accosted Mrs. Grove. Mr. Grove says, what? (laughs) Uh, Miss Martle explains, and she thought that Doris Classic would have told him. So clearly she has not intuited that that was somebody that Doris Classic had an affair and got a child by. Right. So we are smarter than Martle. We are. We're smartle. (laughs) We are. Or even just that that was something that she might not have told Grove about, you know, yeah. like that it was anyway. Um, I don't know. Miss Martle has always been kind of a weird literalist. Yeah, that's true. So it doesn't totally surprise me. Yeah. Harry says that the papers say that there are thieves in the area and they need the staff to feel safe. I mean, aren't there always thieves I was gonna in say, every area? Yeah. That's people, the point of thieves. People love thieving. Miss Martle suggests security men posing as shoppers, which I don't understand why they can't just have a security staff. Right. Although like, I unless think... Unless it simply wasn't done. Well, it was and it also, I mean, I think it just may not have felt like, it may have felt like not classy, you know? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Harry agrees and asks Mr. Grove to look into it, and he dismisses all of them except for Agnes. They sit down, and he says that Henri came to see him. Agnes uh, says that he hasn't been home for three days, and she is crying. Yeah. She asks why he's been avoiding her. Harry says that he's ashamed for what he did in the window, but mainly he is very upset because he survived where his friends died, and he feels responsible. He asks if she's brought it up with him, and she says that he won't talk to her. Harry says that she has to make him talk to her. Agnes doesn't know if she can. He's so different from the man he was. But Harry says that he's the same underneath, and he needs her now more than ever. At Caliano's, Johnson tells Fat Thomas that a young lady was attacked down the street, and he has a witness who saw men leaving Caliano's around six, drunk as lords. Well, that explains some of the policies that were happening at the time. (laughs) Fat Thomas says that his witness is wrong. He says it's not worth his license to open before six. And Johnson says that if Fat Thomas is lying, he will shut him down, and he leaves, calling Perkis after him. Perkis says, good to meet you, Mr. Caliano. I certainly haven't been shaking you down for bribes for the past few months. So George says, so, that's Perkis's boss, eh? And Fat- Can anyone actually see George Towler? <laughs> is he just a ghost? <laughs> that would explain his improved intellect. Yeah, you know? it would. Yeah. Yeah, Fat Thomas says that Perkis doesn't say much in front of Johnson, which, like, duh. Uh, and Haircut says that, uh, by the way, yeah, there was definitely people drinking here that afternoon. Which, shouldn't Haircut get fired off that? Um, except that I think Fat Thomas would have done the same. I or don't know. at least, I, well, that was my feeling about it, was that Fat Thomas knows that he would have been fine with it. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't know. Well, I mean, but she never told him that it happened. Right. And you think that she should have told him that that happened. I guess so, but it didn't seem like a big deal. You know, they were there for, uh, you know, 45 minutes and then they left. Yeah. I don't know. I've never run an illegal bar. That's true. Sergei is in his study and the princess comes in and asks what's wrong with Rosalie. He says they had an argument and the princess tells him to be more thoughtful. They are living on Selfridge's generosity until his plane gets made. Sergei says his plane will never get made. Loxley was just using him. And the princess says that he's a despicable man. Sergei says there's not much point in his blueprints now and starts to tear them up because that's reasonable. Right. You're a real solid investment, Sergei. Yeah. 
the princess stops him and says to cheer up that they'll find another investor. Sergei says that he also needs 80 pounds to settle a gambling debt. Ah, just like your father-in-law. Yeah, great. The, great plan when things are going badly. Start gambling. The princess says that she doesn't have it and was about to hit him up herself for money. She says to borrow off Rosalie because she won't mind. Sergei says he won't beg from his wife and asks if she has any pride. Uh, why did you marry a rich person? Like, specifically for no other reason right. than the fact that she was rich and not hit her up for money. Yeah. Well, he was planning to hit her father up for money because that's perfectly acceptable. Uh, well, make sure you hit up the person that likes you for money. That's the <laughs> first rule of begging people for money. Yeah, that's true. She says that she can't afford pride and he can't either. He says that they're parasites and the princess says they're not because they have the blood of Count Rudikit in their veins. Okay, so I looked this up. Well, I first looked up Count Rurik because that's what the subtitle said, uh, which, but then when I listened to it, that's not what she says. Uh, but Count Rurik, <laughs> what I found was interesting. There were some sensationalist stories in 1912 and several papers about a Countess Tarnovsky, who was the daughter of a Count Rurik, who was descended from an Irish O'Rourke. So that's a fascinating story right there that I don't know anything about. Anyway, Tarnovsky had love adventures such as even the blase Europeans gasped at. She divorced her husband and then married her divorce lawyer from that divorce, then tried to drive him to suicide by seducing his brother, then talked his brother into killing yet a different guy, Count Kamarovsky, who had insured his life for $100,000 with her as the beneficiary. Was this a legit real thing that was supposed to be going on? Yeah, this oh is a real God. story. In 1912, she went to jail in Venice. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't, all, so she was actually saying Count Rudikit or something like that, and I couldn't find anything, but I might have been spelling it wrong since the subtitles were wrong, so. Yeah, I mean, look, that's an entertaining story. <laughs> no, I know, I was pleased to have found it. Well, at any rate, she says that she will get Sergei his money, so I guess that's that. Right. A brass band plays in a park, and Henri sits on a bench, wishing somebody would invent cable. Or at least a wireless. <laughs> right. Agnes comes and sits by him. He asks her why she's not at work, and she says that they need to talk. He says it's too late, and he says that when they argued in the window he could have done anything, he could have hurt her, and that she must not be with him. She says that they made a vow, and Henri says, oh, so you're here out of duty. Agnes says that she's there because she knows about Verdun. Henri says he doesn't want to discuss it, but Agnes does want to, and she asks why he thinks it's his fault. Henri says that they were his men and he should have done something. She asks what, and he says he should have found them water. Agnes says that there wasn't any water, there wasn't anything he could have done. Henri says that he's haunted by them, they're everywhere, and they feel more real to him than she does, and nobody can help him. Agnes asks him to let her try and kisses his cheek, and he leans into her lap and she holds him. Aw, he has needs snuggles. Yeah. It's very cute. It and is. Gregory Fatusi is a great actor. Mm-hmm. So take that mustache. <laughs> Upstairs at Selfridges, Grove reviews the new security staff and says they mustn't reveal their identity to the customers or staff, again for reasons that are never explained. <laughs> right. He says it's an experiment to see if they can make it one day without being discovered. So they head out, and Mr. Crab bets Mr. Grove a shilling that the whole operation will be a bust by lunchtime. <laughs> I agree, because it is ridiculous. Yes. At Mustache House, Fat Thomas and Mustache walk into a room that Kitty is sitting in, and, and, and Mustache is like, look who stopped by. But Fat Thomas says that it's not just a social visit, and he needs to talk to Mustache about the servicemen that Mustache brought to the club. Kitty says, what servicemen? Waka waka. Yeah. One of these days, Mustache. <laughs> One of these days. I guess it's her, though. One of these days, mustache. <laughs> One of these days. Bang. Pow. Right in your mustache. <laughs> I think it's bang zoom, actually. I think you're right. Uh, it's like I don't even remember that sitcom about an abusive relationship correctly. That ended decades before your birth? Yeah. <laughs> well, they always referenced it on Warner Brothers cartoons I'm... for reasons I don't entirely understand. <laughs> Was it in, like, Ralph Cramden's fucking will? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Suspense. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of what it's called yeah. when you have a will. It's like escrow, but for a will. <laughs> 
uh, a codis- probate. Probate, yeah. Uh, this has been the probate court. No, like corner or the probate porch, <laughs> starring Tom Schneider and Art Carney. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm no lawyer. On the shop floor, Mrs. Crab is trying on a hat with fake Doris's assistance. She sees a man staring at her suspiciously. Okay, again, so you're put on the floor to just, like, keep an eye out. Maybe you should have hired some people that have done, I don't know, some sort of, like, intelligence work <laughs> in the war that just ended. Like, what was it? Like, what's your experience? Well, I've been arrested for stalking several times. <laughs> yeah, hired. <laughs> Anyway, uh, after seeing this guy, Mrs. Crab says she's, uh, says to fake Doris that she's changed her mind and just <laughs> walks off as the suspicious guy continues to stare at her. Nunu Gordon comes up to fake Doris and asks how she is. She says she's almost scared to walk home. Nunu Gordon says not to. They've been saying they'll go out, so they should go out. Fake Doris says okay, and Nunu Gordon says he'll see her this evening. And we all say, <laughs> yes we, we do say they really that. are like middle schoolers they are i mean it's taking them this long to go on a first date yeah it's ridiculous yeah at mustache house kitty stares incredulously at mustache as he says that he was just trying to loosen the tongues of the servicemen and he never thought that they would be dangerous Kitty asks why he didn't tell her, and Fat Thomas says that they can't be sure it was them, and asks Kitty to describe her attackers, which she does, uh, describing Private Runty as, quote, a strange face, not quite right, which is true. Fat Thomas says it sounds like them, and says that Sarge always was a mean bugger, and that Private Runty is not all there in the head. Kitty asks if he can find them, and Fat Thomas says he heard they were sleeping rough down by the river. So Kitty tells Mustache that he needs to go to the inspector. In the hall, as Fat Thomas is leaving, Mustache whispers that they could make the report anonymously, but Fat Thomas says that they might not take it seriously if they do. Mustache says that Fat Thomas's club could be closed down and Mustache could go to prison. Then he sees Kitty is listening to him. Uh, again, here's a scene where his face doesn't work. Yeah. But he goes after her and she says, You'd save your own skin before mine. How could you? And she slams the door on him and cries appropriately because yeah. what? A fuck bag. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that is some played out new Jack horse crap. <laughs> That's right. Like, it, it is unbelievable to me yeah. that he could even... Because, th- like, you can say what you want about Harry Selfridge, mm-hmm. but, like, I mean, number one, Harry Selfridge wouldn't have gotten into quite this particular type pickle. Well, right. He's not a journalist. Yeah. For a number of good reasons. Yeah. Well, you know, Harry's at least, you know, gallant. Yes. And Mustache never has been. Yeah. He's yeah. always been kind of, a, you know, let us not forget that he wrote that play. Right. At the end of the first season that scandalized Rosalie. <laughs> well, and it didn't even take. Yeah. That play should have scandalized her to the point that she married like a really boring, like banking dude. She yeah. She's like a Mr. Crab. She does. In Chicago. Yeah. In the Palm Court, the princess tells Rosalie about how Loxley pulled his funding from the aerodrome project that's definitely going to happen. Rosalie asks why Sergei didn't tell her, and the princess says that Sergei seems confident, but he has led a strange life not knowing where he belongs, until he got engaged to Rosalie and when she had never seen him so happy. Rosalie says, uh, but since we've been married... The princess says that it's been difficult for Sergei living under Harry's roof, and also now he's gambled away a lot of money and doesn't know who to turn to. Rosalie looks thoughtful as the princess watches her over her teacup. Yes, very creepily. Yeah. And also, like, are they having sex, her and Sergei? Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on there? Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what kind of weird lessons you may have learned from your parents' marriage, like, you know he's supposed to be home most nights. And yeah. We haven't really seen any evidence that that's true. Yeah. A model struts on the fashion floor, and some lady tells Miss Martle that she'll take both dresses. Connie sees a suspicious guy acting suspicious and has had enough, asks him if there's anything that he'd actually like to purchase. In a rather loud voice. Yes. And Miss Martle excuses herself and heads over to ask if anything's the matter. Connie proudly exclaims that a pervert has been hanging around (laughs) the nightwear, and she's seen him off. 
Miss Marnell asks her to go measure the customer who wants the two dresses and uh, to try not to see her off as well. <laughs> Doris Classic comes in and Miss Marnell greets her, but Doris Classic angrily asks why she told Mr. Grove about her baby daddy. Miss Marnell says she didn't mean to cause trouble, but Doris Classic says she did and to stay out of her marriage. She then storms out and uh, Miss Marnell looks thoughtful. Yeah. But is she thought, like, is she thinking anything? Um, I think yes. Okay. But I think it's more sinister than we think. Ah. Not sinister exactly. Well, but. There's a, there's a certain opening here. Yeah. There's this whole, yeah, there is this whole past. Upstairs, Agnes tells Harry that she talked with Henri and he says that's good. She says that he is at home and he got, uh, prescribed some sedatives. And Agnes doesn't think that he should come back to work, and she is handing in her own notice as well. What? Yeah. Harry says that that's sudden, but Agnes says that Henri is more important to her than anything, so she has decided that they have to leave London and go somewhere quiet for him to recover. Harry says that he's known her a long time, and she says, ever since I sold you those gloves, and he says that she was a shop girl then, but look at her now. She says it's all down to Harry, but he shakes his head as she goes on to say that he gave her all of these opportunities. And Harry says that she reached out and took them. Agnes holds out her hand for a handshake, but Harry goes in for a hug. Because uh, he's terrible at boundaries. <laughs> but yeah. we're all crying anyway. Well, this was a perfectly acceptable hug. It was a perfectly acceptable hug. Yes. Mrs. Crabb is watching the suspicious guy still. <laughs> Man, Mrs. Crabb is like the cowbell this season. <laughs> uh, she then literally runs into <laughs> Mr. Crabb. Who asks what's up? She says that the suspicious guy keeps following her in a sinister fashion, which he does. And yes. It's like, this is Mrs. Crab, Dingleberry. Uh, right. I mean, even though you don't know that she's Mrs. Crab, she's like a, you know, somewhat elderly lady. Like, this is not. She's not going to rape anybody. She's not a criminal mastermind. Uh, Mr. Crab waves off the suspicious guy who very, like, conspicuously wanders off. Yeah. He says uh, that he can explain. Behind them, uh, Agnes gets off the elevator and walks toward fake Doris, who is angrily correcting a subordinate's glove placement. And she says that accessories is the most exacting department in the store. She sees Agnes and asks if she can help her. And Agnes remembers when Miss Martel gave her the same speech. Mm -hmm. She started in accessories when she wasn't much older than that assistant. And fake Doris says now she's an example to them all of what you can achieve at Selfridges. Mm -hmm. Agnes says she doesn't know about that, but she clearly does know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she's had a wonderful time. She tells fake Doris to keep up the good work and walks off, stops for a look at the shop floor, and then heads outside into a fairly dramatic crane shot of the outside of the store. Yes. So it seems that she she was clearly like taking one last look, which means that she really didn't hand in her notice per se, so much as she just quit. So much as she was just like, you might notice, <laughs> I'm out. Right. As required by my contract, I'm handing in my 60, 60 seconds of notice. I'm really curious who's going to take over the windows, because somebody had to have been doing them while they were on their honeymoon and mm -hmm. stuff, and I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, somebody, well, well I remember um, Keebler was doing them when she was in France. Okay. I think. I mean, that, that would make sense. Well, you have to assume that there's a bit more infrastructure to that whole, to the whole display aspect of things than we see. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I guess so. Well, since, and I don't know, this whole thing, like, come on, Agnes isn't leaving forever. Like, she's like the co-lead of the show. That's true. But, you know, we're, uh, ours is not to reason eyeliner. <laughs> Why liner? <laughs> That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yes. Upstairs, Crab tells Grove that he won the bet. He sure did. Yes. I mean, we knew that bet was won before it even started. <laughs> yeah. Grove tries to say that he thinks the team did rather well. Crab says that Mrs. Crab wouldn't agree with that. Grove lamely attempts to claim that Mrs. Crab was lingering suspiciously. <laughs> Mrs. Crab is many things, but I don't think she could possibly ever linger suspiciously. Agreed. And Martel agrees with Crab and says that the problem is having men in the women's departments. Crab suggests that they should get women and then adds that they could hire those loading bay women <gasps> that they fired. Does that mean the artful porter's coming back? I think it does. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Tighten your belts! <laughs> Crab says that he will run the idea by Harry tomorrow, and he heads out. 
Martel asks if Doris Classic enjoyed that trip to pick out dresses, and Groves says that she did. Martel asks about the incident, and Groves like, oh, it was nothing. It turns out that guy just mistook her for somebody else. Somebody else who'd had his baby. <laughs> so we think she does get it, and right. I... I'm going to call it now. I think Martle and Grove are going to bang at some point this okay. season. Okay. They're in all the promo shots together. All right. And there's trouble in baby making paradise. Yeah. And once again, I think he would like to have sex with something that isn't going to get pregnant immediately. <laughs> In the police station, Fat Thomas and Mustache have filled Johnson in. Perkis thinks he knows where the men might be sleeping by the river. Johnson says they'll go down tonight, and they'll need Kitty there to identify them. Johnson says they could have told him earlier, but Mustache says he didn't put two and two together. Johnson is correctly skeptical, because if nothing else, Mustache looks like the kind of guy who can definitely put two and two together very quickly. It's sort of his job. Yeah. Mustache says he's not proud of himself and he presumes Johnson's going to charge him. Johnson says they'll track these men down and then he'll decide to do what to do with Mustache. At Lizard Club, Rosalie hands some money to some guy to pass on to whatever guy that Sergei owes the money to. Uh, Loxley sees this as he's coming downstairs and says that it's a bad show for Sergei to get his wife to pay his debts. Rosalie says that's what wives do if they love their husbands. Which is... It would be a sweet burn, except that Rosalie is so spineless. Yeah. Loxley says that Sergei has told him some very interesting things about the Selfridges and asks if she thinks that he did that out of love. Which is a very sweet burn on Loxley's part. Yeah. Rosalie tells him to leave her husband and family alone, which seems unlikely. It does seem very unlikely. Yeah. In the Palm Court Annex, the homely architect is trying to show Harry a list of architects uh, who perhaps might be a better fit for him romantically. <laughs> but he is not listening. He sa- she says it's not a good time. He says he lost his deputy and head of design. The homely architect says they must be replaceable because she is reasonable as well as homely. <laughs> Harry says no. Uh, he's his best friend and she's like a daughter to him. She expresses her sympathy. He takes her hand and says it's so good to have her to talk to. And that since his wife died, he's had no one, which is not a good nag, Harry. Yeah. Not a good nag. Yeah. Uh, although I think it does work for people who go to church a lot. Um, no, you may be right. Um... The homely architect says, please stop. And I really appreciated her Uh in this scene, yeah. She says that she knows he doesn't want to be alone, but he can't look to the closest person to fill the void. Harry says she's got it all wrong. Uh, no, she doesn't. She disagrees and asks if they can pretend that the conversation never happened and leaves. So, uh, you know, 10 points to Gryffindor. Actually, who are we kidding? The homely architect, definitely a Hufflepuff. Uh, Yeah. Henri lies in bed, and Agnes lies next to him looking at him. And I liked just sort of the composition mm-hmm. of this shot. Uh, she asks if he has happy memories of child of his childhood, and he says that he does. He says that when you're a child, you can't imagine anything will ever go wrong, which isn't exactly how I remember childhood. But. Yeah, I remember my childhood kind of just being very uh, tense yeah. and anxious. Anyway, she asks about the house where Henri grew up, and he describes it. It was by the sea, and there were all these huge skies and empty by beaches. By the sea, Miss Towler. <laughs> With the beaches empty, <laughs> you can walk all day and never see a empty. <laughs> Look, guys, I'm not yeah. on top of my parody songwriting game. Well. I apologize. Fair enough. I hope I didn't give you PTSD. You'll get it next time. <sighs> That sounds like I should do something, but I'm not going to. Yeah, that's that's probably for the best. Yeah, he says you can walk all day and see nobody, which, like, that doesn't seem like a great way to grow up to me, but, uh, you know, to each his own. Well, uh, if you're having visions of dead soldiers lining the walls, that right. probably does sound great. Great for PTSD I also recovery. I to recall him not having had a happy childhood. I seem to recall yeah. him talking about not liking where he grew up. And his parents being kind of cold and distant. That sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, it was, I believe, in the first season when he and Agnes were sleeping together. I think. Well. I'd have to go back, but right. I'm pretty sure there was a scene where he was talking about where he grew up. Okay. Well, if you all remember, please uh, clue us in. Ah, man, I missed that part of their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. It was. Anyway, Agnes says that they should go there to his childhood home. Henri says that they can't just leave, but Agnes says she's handed in her notice. 
Henri says that she can't sacrifice herself and everything that she's built, but she says all that is nothing without him. She wants to make him better, and there's nothing more important. He asks if she's sure she is, and he says he would love to show her his home, and she says, then it's decided. He asks, what if I don't get better? Agnes says he will, and he says that it might take a long time, and she says they've got all the time in the world. In a van down by the river. <laughs> JK, it's just down by the river. Right. Uh, police are shining the flashlights in the faces of people sleeping as Kitty looks at them. The first seven or eight aren't anybody, but then Kitty sees Private Runty and points him out. Uh, Sarge jumps up and makes a run for it, but is apprehended and identified. And what's really remarkable about this scene just is like Kitty's face and her like obvious discomfort mm-hmm. at where she is. I mean, you know, she's with the police and presumably right. fully protected, but it's really like horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Mustache sits in the hall in Mustache House and like literally in a hallway. It's weird. Yeah. Like not in a, again, this is a lot of people sitting in uncomfortable places. Like are <laughs> right. you punishing yourselves? But anyway, he stands up as Kitty arrives and asks if she found them, and she says yes, and they will be charged tomorrow. She says that there were lots of men down there, and it makes you wonder where their families and friends are. Mustache says that she doesn't need to worry about that, and he goes to take her to bed, but she pulls away and says that she needs to be alone. Mustache says that he's sorry, and he panicked, and he reaches for her again, but she says, not tonight, and walks away. Uh, good call, Kitty. Yeah, and she, like, like she recoils at his touch. Yeah. Yeah. Yes! The sequel. Nunu Gordon and fake Doris are dancing at Caliano's because, yet again, there is nowhere else to go in London. When Violette walks in wearing a much better dress. Yes. And she sees them and smiles and then walks up to them. Ugh, this is so irritating. It is. Nunu Gordon asks what she's doing there. She says she could ask the same, which I feel like isn't entirely true. Like, he hasn't been forbidden from leaving the house. Right. And he's there on a perfectly respectable type date. Yeah. He asks if Harry knows she's out. Violette says yes, but there was nothing he could do. She bitchily says, have we met to fake Doris? And Nunu Gordon introduces her, and I remember that her name is Grace something or other. Yeah. Uh, and Violette says, oh, of course, and smirks at Nunu Gordon. Nunu Gordon says that she can stay with them, but Violette says she doesn't need a chaperone. Have fun, little brother. And then she goes up to Fat Thomas and smooches him. Fake Doris says that he ha- she had no idea his sister would be there. Be- Why would she? Right. Ugh. She's just making conversation. Anyway, Fat Thomas then the, I, sees... I was just going to say, the one thing that's nice about it is that Fake Doris doesn't seem to realize how bitchy Violette was being. Yeah, so. or like that the Selfridges are very complicated. <laughs> right. Fake Doris is just living it up in Fake Doris land. Yeah. Uh, Fat Thomas then sees Perkis walking in. So in Fat Thomas's office, Fat Thomas asks Perkis what he can do for him. Perkis says if Fat Thomas shouldn't have come to the station, Johnson will have his eye on him now. And Fat Thomas says that's fine because from now on he's going to play it by the book. No after-hours drinking and no bribes. Perkis says that he won't last a month, but Fat Thomas says that they have regulars now. They come for the music and not the drink. <laughs> there is literally no such thing. Right. Uh, and that he will make it work. Perkis says, not if I have anything to do with it, and that he is the one that chooses when to walk away. He's like the Heisenberg of selfishness. (laughs) Yeah. So he says, Fat Thomas hasn't heard the last of this and walks out. At a train station, Miss Martle, Harry, and George accompany the departing Agnes and Henri. Miss Martle hugs Agnes and wishes her a safe journey. George tells her to be sure and write, and I'm like, what, because you can read now? (laughs) Right. Harry tells Henri that he'll be all right and they have each other. Henri agrees that he's very lucky and thanks Harry for everything he's done for him. Agnes says they have to go, hugs Harry, and they get on the train. The train starts to pull off and Harry says he'll miss them. George says he doesn't know what he'll do without Agnes. And I'm like, well, you haven't been in the same scene for like two episodes. Right. Or four episodes in. So I think it's going to be fucking fine. I assume you'll just keep living in your room and working at that club you work at now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. You know, you'll have an unlikely romance with haircut. <laughs> Interesting. Harry gets in his car and a chauffeur asks if he's going home, but Harry says, not just yet. And we're like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. The homely architect opens her door to see Harry, who asks if he can come in. Uh, she never says he can. No, she asks if something's the matter and he walks on in. She asks what it is, and Harry says that she should have more faith in him, in herself. He asks if this is how she treats every man that makes a pass at her, because if so, no wonder she's still single. Oh, 
my God. Yeah. Becky, look at his ego. (laughs) Yeah. Like, wow. And he says that he doesn't want any woman by his side. He wants her. And that she's clever and funny and he likes her even when she's angry and he likes her when she frowns and when she smiles and blah, blah, blah. And this fucking horseshit works on her somehow and they kiss. No stars. Yeah. We hate this development, everyone. We do. This is our least favorite development ever. In an episode that does such a good job of dealing with sexual assault. Right. You know, and look, and we haven't read about Mr. Selfridge's real life. And true. by some miracle, it has not been spoiled for us. Yeah. Also Even true. Even the lungitis. Like, we <laughs> right. could see what was coming, but like, yeah. nobody said anything. So this may well be a real historical relationship slash impending marriage situation here. Right. But just, uh, it's terrible. It is. And she did such a good job of like fending him off the whole episode. Mm-hmm. And then, no, it wasn't. She's not. It's not that she has low self-esteem. She's just not into you, dude. She's not into you. And you're investing in her passion project. Right. To help these soldiers, and, you know, maybe it's better not to get your dick all up in those blueprints. Uh, There's other competent women in this city. Yeah, yeah. So that's how the episode ends. It's like one ill-considered marriage didn't save your family after your wife's death. A second one certainly isn't going to. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this turns out. Yes. So now it is time for the Selfridge Awards, a.k.a. the selfies. That's right. And we'll start off with the nailing it award. We're going to give this one to Violette. Uh, yeah. As distasteful as we find her attitude and methods and sometimes her acting, <laughs> uh, she is getting everything she wants in this episode. That's right. She cannot be stopped. She uh, seems uh, well situated to uh, bang Fat Thomas. Yeah. And the you can't go out by yourself rule lasted approximately zero seconds. Yeah. So uh, well done, Violette. We admire you. Yeah. Next up, we have the stick poke. And that goes to the sudden acceptance of the homely architect, or by the homely architect of Harry's advances. Yeah, we were uh, pretty sure she wasn't going to do that, and yeah, then she did it. She did. And we were sad. Yeah. Sadder than that stick poking kid, now that Monsieur Leclerc is going back to <laughs> France. <laughs> but I don't have a passport, Monsieur. <laughs> Bring me a baguette! <laughs> I'll poke you with it! That was like stick poking kid meets Baldrick. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I have a cunning plan! <laughs> Bring me a baguette! <laughs> Next up, we have the window worthy award. So this was tough. This was a very ugly episode. It was. There were not any particularly breathtaking displays or shots or anything, but what we were really impressed with. Was Agnes Towler's crying? Yeah. The tears of a Towler. Yeah. If you will. Uh, just every time she would cry, it was like her eyes didn't know they were crying. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense given what we know about Agnes and like her history. Yeah. But man. Yeah. I mean like. Very man, impressive. Big ups. What is the name of her person? Her person. I meant to Who's look. Who's the puppeteer who <laughs> works those tear tops? I, I also meant to look we that up. We used to know. We did. We did. It was a long time ago. She's somebody that we used to know. All right. Look. Our our homework, everybody, is we're just gonna like study we, the cast list and we're gonna get this straight. Yeah, this we is, are. It's, this it's is ridiculous. kind of it's, it's pretty sad. Yeah. And then finally, uh, we have the eyeliner scale of eyeliner. Yes, and this one for the first time is a definite crayon. Yeah, this is some rudimentary slapped on. Yeah, ridiculous shit. Yeah, well, because and that's the thing too. Like this whole thing with the homely architect. Like it's not that I can't imagine this arc having gotten to this place and kind of working but it's so compressed and so like un it just doesn't it's feel out of character it's in character for him mm-hmm. and we don't know anything about how his courtship of rose went true so it's hard to really because i mean look i think it's it's fair to say that his methods are different depending on the type of partner he's looking for sure you know if he's looking for a floozy he flashes a lot of cash around right but also a floozy knows how to play ball yeah at least at the start yeah and you know a person worth having you know i don't want to say they're going to say no at the beginning but like in a business relationship they're gonna be like hey what if we didn't do this yeah yeah so i don't know We'll see where this goes. It's a disappointment. Yeah. Hopefully the next episode uh, is going to pick it up. Yeah. And I will say, I think that's... 
Is it accurate to say that Mr. Selfridge has more episodes that are like uniformly good and then uniformly bad, whereas Downton Abbey is more of a mix? I would say that Downton Abbey... I feel like the gulf between a good Downton Abbey episode and a bad one is not that huge. Yeah. Well, I feel like Downton Abbey... I feel like the borders between episodes are less defined, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So... At any rate, yeah. uh, we might have the Artful Porter back next week. That would be great. Mm-hmm. We would, would love be. that. We might find out what happened with Doris Classic. Yeah. Uh, Violette seems like she's going to bang Fat Thomas, like, yeah. for sure. Definitely. That's definitely happening. Yeah. What's Haircut going to have to say about everything? I'm interested to find out. You know what it's probably not? What? Tighten your belts! <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you next week. <laughs> 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 